0: Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we celebrate the stories of successful business people who've overcome challenges and setbacks to build thriving businesses. We're excited to be speaking with Judy Wilkins-Smith today. She is an internationally renowned organizational, individual, and family patterns expert. She's the author of Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, which is now being translated into five languages. Judy has been interviewed on morning television in many U.S. states and all over the world, and she hosts three- and four-day conferences for thousands of people throughout the year, including at the Luxury Yacht Club at Florida's Disney World. That's one I want to be at. Today, we're focusing especially on money, understanding your money DNA, and creating a healthier money mindset. Welcome, Judy. Thank you. It is lovely
1: to be with you.
0: Goodness, where do we start? I mean, you haven't always been doing this family dynamic work, have you? Tell us what you were doing before this, and then we'll get into what you're doing
1: now. Yeah, so before this, you're quite right, this was not something I ever planned on doing. And my background was in the medical arena. I was a vascular technologist, hematology tech, and autotransfusion person in South Africa. And... Interestingly enough, when I left, there was a Zulu gentleman who gave my farewell speech and he said, you may be leaving us, but you'll find a way to represent us in the world. And I went, yeah, yeah. And this work is actually based on the Zulu tribe. It's a study of the Zulu tribe and why it is that they don't have neuroses and how it is that they do well. And that began with Bert Hellinger, who actually went over to South Africa to go and tame the Zulus, as he put it. And instead, he says they tamed him. (laughs) It was studying that, but I had no idea. It was only when somebody said to me, well, of course, you'd know this work. And I went, why? And they said, because it started in South Africa, that the full circle moment happened. I also started doing this because my father was killed in America, and it was a case of Either I write books or go crazy. And I figured that writing books was probably the better option. So uh, I was looking for a piece of information and stumbled into this. And the person who would written, no, they hadn't written the book at that stage. They were teaching it and they said, come and learn the work from me and I will help you with your book. So I went and learned the work, but I got zero help with the book. But that led to beginning to work with people. And then what happened was they would say to me, well, if you can work with individuals, can you work with organizations? And that led to a lot of work inside Fortune 50 companies. And so that's what I do a lot of. And then of course, systemic work in constellations. I think because a constellation itself is such an incredible experience, That once people are able to take what's in here and see it in front of them in 3D, it changes everything. Because now they're seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, touching it. And so what happens is they have an embodied experience of what's going on in here. And instead of being stuck, it moves them from stuck to transformation. And it rewires the brain very quickly and with a long-lasting effect. And that includes money DNA. Wow. Can
0: you just describe briefly what a constellation is for people who aren't familiar?
1: Absolutely. So a constellation is, as I said, it's a 3D depiction of what your issue may be. So perhaps you come to me and you say, I'm really struggling with money. I am so scared of it. I'm terrified of it. I know I I should be doing stuff, but I mean, really, you look at the stuff, it's got such a bad connotation. And I'd like to not be so scared, but I'd like to actually be able to, to interact with it. Well, I'm curious to know what the fear is. So maybe I said to you, so the big fear, oh, you could die. And I hear that these are the sentences I hear. So I said, well, let's take a look. I want you to pick someone to represent your mom, somebody to represent your dad, someone to represent money and someone to represent you. And then I want you to set it up for me. This is not psychodrama. I want you to place it for you the way that it is for you. So set those people up, the representatives, so that it represents the way that you feel, the way that money is for you. And maybe you've got mom, dad, maybe money's right next to dad, or maybe it's in the distance. And so I begin to ask things like, what big money events are there in the the family? And you may say, well, my grandfather made a lot of money, but the stress of it He just dropped dead when he was young. And there you begin to see, so why is there a fear of money? So now we know there's a fear of money, and that's the pattern that's trying to stop. But we also know there's a desire for money, and that's the pattern trying to emerge through you. It's trying to restore that flow that was there. And so what I'll do is I'll use your language and then start interacting with the, the representatives until we arrive at a place where perhaps you say, you know what, grandfather, that was your fear, and it was dad's fear, and now it's time for me to do something different. Just watch me when I do it differently, and that alone will often unlock people. What I might have you say is, thank you for having that wealth DNA, because I've got that wealth desire, and I know that it comes from you. But just watch me as I do it differently. And instead of being in a state of fear with money, I really enjoy it. And I can celebrate it and use it to be healthy. And I don't have to stress like you did. Now you've unlocked the limiting pattern and you've created a pattern that can take you into the future. And so you've acknowledged the source you've and identified it. You've looked at it and now you're switching it around. So, that's a constellation. And you can use it for any subject that you want. Some of them are very complex. Some of them will go back to Holocausts, back to wars. And we hold on to those because what people don't realize is that you don't just inherit physical DNA, you also inherit emotional DNA. That's your pattern of thoughts, feelings, actions, reactions, all of those. And you inherit them in a couple of ways. One, if there's been an an incredibly significant uh, event, that'll begin generating an impact on the system that then generates a blueprint for subsequent behaviors or subsequent generations of behaviors. So that's one. The other one is you and I all know it. Mom said, grandma said, great grandma said, and boom, down it comes. And then we think, well, that's the truth. Only it's not the truth. It's just your truth. And you can change that anytime you want to. And when you begin changing emotional DNA, that quite often can have an effect on physical DNA.
2: It's it's like that money is the root of all evil, right? Get passed down generation to generation. Yeah, I get it.
1: So when people say that, I'm like, no, love of money is not the root of all evil. Lust of money. Possibly. Love of money, no. It simply means you're being a wise steward, but you are looking at money and you're bringing it in as part of your life instead of ignoring it and using the poor stuff whenever you need it, but otherwise it gets rejected.
2: It's like what you're saying. It's the opposite of inheriting generational wealth, like people like to talk about. You're inheriting generational trauma. How do we clear the trauma We need to get help. And I think what you're saying is the awareness, right? Like that's the first key step
1: to making the changes? Absolutely. So your first key step is exactly that. You want to understand and acknowledge what is exactly the way that it is without wishing for it to be different. You know what? I'm terrified of money. Or you know what? I'm always broke. Or you know what? It always comes and goes. It's when you acknowledge it that you can start to look at it. And when you look at it, you can start to shift it. Now, that also happens with people who have a lot of money. They will often say to me, you know, this is a great responsibility and a burden. And I'm like, and where'd that come from? Because actually, it's a great opportunity, and you're the, the genie with the lamp, and you're sitting there going, I don't know what to do with this lamp. It's such a burden. Come on. <laughs>
0: I love the analogy. And it's interesting, because I wanted to ask, you know, you're working with high network with individuals with yeah. fortune 50 companies, and you're working in that space. And I was thinking, well, no money DNA issues there, but you've just proven me wrong.
1: <laughs> Total money DNA issues. there. In fact, some of the worst money DNA issues are with those who are really wealthy. It's a crazy sort of contra thing. We really, really work to do that and get money and be safe and be secure. And then when we get there, we be guilty and be burdened and be problematic. And I'm like, this poor thing called money just can't win. I mean, we do not give it a place to win.
0: So true, so true. Money doesn't buy happiness.
1: There's another one. Money And I hear that often. Money doesn't buy happiness. No, but it can sure do a lot of interesting things that can bring happiness. You're the only one who creates it but it can bring you really interesting opportunities.
0: So uh, what do you suggest to people who want to do this, maybe just to self-reflect and say, where am I? You've, you touched on it by saying, you know, know where you're at. Do you have a little exercise or a couple of pointers that people could do while they're sitting at
1: home after they listen to this episode? Yes. What you want to do is you want to sit uh, sit down and write down all of your thoughts, feelings, and actions around money, everything that you think about money, everything that you feel about money, and everything that you do or don't do around money, and once you've got that piece, what you want to do is ask yourself, so when did I first become aware of money? What was happening in my life at the time? What did I make it mean about me, and what did I make it mean about others? And Who else in the family has a similar money pattern? Who struggles with money? Who fears money? Who is burdened by money? Who else in the family? Because the minute you tell me, oh, my aunt did or or does or my uncle or my grandfather, now I know we're dealing with a multi-generational pattern and it's going, I'm tired. Can somebody shift me, please? This is boring. I like
2: that. It's boring. It is. It is. And it, and it is time to make these kinds of changes as an entrepreneur. And I've been spoken with and worked with so many other entrepreneurs. We hear over and over again, nobody understands entrepreneurship. Everyone tells me get a safe job. Everyone tells me you have the security, have this, have that. And entrepreneurship is a risky thing. You have to take big leaps and big risks in order to, to succeed, just to make it sometimes. So like, what is that mindset? And like, how do people work to a better money mindset when it comes to risk? Because I think that's where people have the most fear when they have to risk something.
1: I think you're right. And it really depends on the way you became an entrepreneur. Mine was literally this door shut and I had to get food on the table. That was it. And I think for many people, that's what happens. It's, what do I do now? I've got to get food on the table. People always say to me, you're passionate about what you do, and that's true. Did it start out that way? It did not start out that way. Did it build? Absolutely. But I will tell you, there were more tears in the bath than the the faucet was generating at, at points. With that whole money mindset and the risk piece, I think one of the things is learning to believe in yourself. It's probably one of the most difficult things. It's one I certainly still struggle with. I'm never when somebody says, Well, you're the expert, I go, eh, because I'm I'm very South African, and in South Africa, you don't say that stuff. And in terms of risk, I've become more comfortable with it. I certainly wasn't. Every dime that went out the door, I was running after to see if I couldn't bring it back. But you learn that sometimes you've got to make the investment. For things to happen. And I certainly had to learn that it was a question of, if I'm going to get to the next step, do I have to invest? Do I have to take the leap of faith? And I think the other big piece for me was, if you look at my website, the first question it asks you is, how big are you willing to be? And I figured out if I was going to talk the talk, I jolly well better walk the walk. So It was a question of, well, then you're going to have to have that faith. And believe it or not, we'll bring it back to good old Disney. There are stories with that. But the one thing that it was that I really wanted to teach at Disney because I love it so much. And I'd made a promise to Walters, a nine-year-old, that seen as he wasn't around, I'd bring the magic. And so I I remember calling up Disney and going, okay, so what does it cost if I want to put on an event then? And they said, well. You'll have to put down 10000 to begin with, and I nearly lost my lunch. I mean, that's a lot of money. I'm looking at my bank account going, $10,000. Are you kidding me? But I'm now doing it. This will be my eighth time at Disney that I'm teaching. Now, I don't nearly have a heart attack every time I've got to do that. But it was, it was building a bit of the winner effect as well, I think. Just building small wins and then saying, I can do that. I can do that. And then saying, saying things, absolutely focusing on not toilet talk, but transformation talk. Toilet talk is useless. And saying to myself, you can do this, you can do this, until one day where will you stop saying that? Not you can do this, you're doing this, just stop. So it, it was really learning to talk to myself And I think also recognizing that in the risk, I was being responsible for what was happening. I couldn't blame anybody else, which was great, because you get out of the victim mindset very quickly or else you sink. So I couldn't blame anybody else. I couldn't ask anybody else because the work that I'm doing, nobody had done. The manuals that I've created in the book I wrote, nobody had done. Uh, So I didn't have anyone to ask for. So I couldn't even have imposter syndrome, which led me, by the way, to another insight, and that is there's no such thing as imposter syndrome for all the entrepreneurs out there. It's pioneer syndrome. We mislabel it. Tell me more.
2: I I like that. Tell me
1: more. You may not know all the answers, but you're willing to go in search of the answers. So you're not an imposter.
0: Nice reframe, Judy. Nice reframe. Not an imposter, a pioneer. Same, same. Yeah, you may not know where you're going. You may not know the answers, but you know how to go for it and get them and find them.
1: You're resourceful. And some, yeah, and sometimes you don't even know how to go for it, but you darn well keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, I learned that Saturdays and Sundays were something that I'm aware of. But I <laughs> Don't take them off because I'm too busy with what's next. Yeah. So there are extra things that you do do. And then somebody said to me, yeah, but to be an entrepreneur, you really have to sacrifice. And that is something you should not say to me because that is not the truth. You are not sacrificing anything. You want to be an entrepreneur. That's the entry fee. Do not whine. Shine. Stop.
2: Oh, you're just giving quotes after amazing quotes. I Don't wine shine. I love that. That's a good one. I'd like to go back because you just briefly mentioned that when you became an entrepreneur, it was a door slam and you had to find a way through. And I had the same experience because I went in very accidentally into entrepreneurship. I'd love to go back and hear your story. So what were you doing before and what was the door that slammed?
1: That was I was in that medical arena as the um, vascular autotransfusion and hematology tech. And then when my father was killed, he was in a hospital and they failed him in all three areas. And I knew I wasn't going to walk back into a hospital. That was done. My being in the medical arena, I think in that moment, I suddenly realized for me, I didn't want to deal with sick. I didn't want to deal with dying. I actually wanted to start dealing with health and I I wanted to start dealing with living. That is no reflection in any way or any characterization of anybody who's in that field. It was just, I was done. I'd finished. I think it would be useful,
0: Judy, if you don't mind just sharing a bit about what you mean when you say your father was killed in a hospital. I think that'll be useful for people to understand really where you're coming from.
1: So this is interesting. So, First of all, my grandfather was killed in the hospital. They gave him the wrong medicine. My uh, uncle was killed in the hospital. They did the wrong tests. And then my father had an, uh, an aneurysm, and instead of getting to him, because well, there are many reasons, but they left him, they left him alone. The person who did that has since been disbarred, or not disbarred. What do you say? He doesn't have his medical license anymore, but. They didn't give him the attention he should have, and he lay there for four hours while they did nothing and wrote on the bottom of his form, patient left to die. So at that point, for me, I was done. I've had a great fear around medicine probably since that. But the universe is elegant, right? My daughter is a physician. (laughs) And she's the one person, if if there are medical things, she's got the spidey sense. She knows what to go after her, uh, patients follow her, and she has six-month waiting lists to see her. But she's the antidote to the fear. So the universe is always elegant. It's got the pieces there. And uh, it was interesting, so interesting that we're talking about this now. My mother overcame cancer, and my daughter was the one, if she hadn't have been there, we'd have lost her three times. And then she recently had a very bad fall and she was in hospital for quite a while. My father died on June the 2nd, so we never got to bring him home. My mother came home on June the 2nd. You talk about full moments. I think we both could feel that, my daughter and I, and I don't often get emotional about it, but There'd been so much that went wrong while she was in the hospital. And my daughter kept finding it, and we would catch it between us. And so she came home. So on June the 2nd, one didn't, but on June the 2nd, the other one did. And so you don't get to sit and complain about those sorts of things. I think one of the pieces of being an entrepreneur and a resilient one is exactly that, you don't get to do the whining thing. You really do, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you get to go out there because you're supposed to shine. You're supposed to put a push the envelope. It's very easy to, to give in. It's a lot more fun when you're on the other side of it and you <laughs> have bounced back. Yeah, it's so true. It's
2: breaking generational curses. I've heard that so much. Mostly it's to do with trauma and stuff. But it, your daughter has broken the trauma. Like she's
1: broken the cycle
2: for she's the family. Broken the
1: cycle. What it's doing is it's breaking the generational spell. And I always say to people, be very careful. We say that there is not magic and we're not witches and warlocks and magicians. Your words matter. They cast the spell and you, the person either buys it or doesn't. And if you buy it, you're going to get locked in. And if we're looking at money, it's the same. If you watch people, there you will hear them say, oh, I've got enough to get by. Only greedy people have money. It's for liars, cheats and thieves. Well, in your case, this is probably true. Because if that's the only way you can see it, that's all that can show up for you. It's breaking a multi-generational cycle, but there's wisdom even in that cycle because even though there were things that happened, if we go back to my daughter and my – and I'll tell you something even more interesting that's – if we go back to that, it's not just breaking a cycle. It's saying I'm done to one pattern and I'm emerging for the other. So here's the other piece, and I'm doing my very best to just stay very even, Keel, when I say that. My daughter went into medicine because she lost her biological mom the day after her fourth birthday. And she said to me, What did she say? She, you know, mom, I went into medicine so that no other daughter ever has to go through that with her mother. Well, last year, oh no, it gets pretty good last year. I had to have my gallbladder removed. She lost her mom to, to cancer. I had to have my gallbladder removed because there was a little growth inside it. And they said to, us, to me, had you come three months later, we may have been having a different conversation. And my daughter sat down and when it was all over and she started crying, and she said, so I went into it so that no other daughter would ever have to go through that again. I didn't realize the daughter would be me. Gosh. So this is the magic. This is the magic. So in doing that, she undid that too. So there, there was a piece of that had really weighed her down for a long time. Now we'll tell you that you want to talk a little bit about magic. When she takes a photo, there's always a little blue orb that sits on her left shoulder. Doesn't matter what we do when she takes a photograph, it's always there. And when I didn't even know that I needed gallbladder surgery, I was sitting talking to a client and people give me semi-precious stones. And there was a stone that suddenly rolled out of the bowl and into my hand. I thought, well, that's odd. I wonder what happened or did we tilt something? And I'd never seen it before. It's a blue orb.
2: I'm, I'm speechless. I'm literally speechless at this. Wow. Wow. But it's connection, and you sound like you are someone who is supremely connected, and your daughter is supremely connected to you, and that's
1: amazing. She is wonderful. She is one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet, and yes, she and I are very connected. The thing about this work, it's the thing about even with entrepreneurs, we are super interconnected. We don't realize how much. It's when we're open to, I always talk about that, the heart-head-gut connection. That's where the magic happens. When the heart's open, the creative brain can switch on, and the gut, instead of being in fight-flight, becomes that inner compass. And when those three connect, that's when entrepreneurs do well. When they say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it, and everything goes, yes, that's when things happen. And by the way, it's the same with money DNA. When they say yes to more and the heart says yes to more and it stops saying, love, money is the root of all evil, be careful. And it stops saying, Money's going to kill you. And it starts saying, I have great opportunities for you. And the head goes yes and the heart goes yes and the gut goes, let's go. That's when the magic happens.
0: How do we get the heart, head and gut to align, Judy?
1: Easy said, I I like to say this to my guests, our guests, easier said than done. Until you know, here's the the explanation. The head has got to tell the body a story that the body can believe. So the brain has to tell the body a story that it can believe. So what do I mean by that? We've all had it. You do something, you go, I'm so stupid. How could I have done that? I'm in big trouble now. I can't ever do that again. I will never open my mouth again in that kind of company. And the body is reacting, right? So the head's already told the body and the body's going, oh, my goodness. And the stress hormones are going, bah, ba ba Well, that's your new truth. You now cannot interact or react in that space because that's not you. You stand up on stage. You give a speech and somebody goes, that's dumb. And you go, <gasps> See, I knew I wasn't good at speaking. I knew it. Why am I doing it? The head goes, yep, you shouldn't have done that. The heart goes boom and it closes. It says, don't do that. And the gut goes, "Eh, and now you're in negative alignment. Or you stand up on stage and you start talking and somebody says to you, you've just changed my life. And you've got this little piece that goes. I can do this stuff. And your heart opens and your brain goes, you know what else we could do here? Let's just catch her while she's awake. You know what else we could do? We could add this, 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 and this. And the gut's going, let's go, let's go. That's how you do it. You get an idea. You allow it to start growing. Your heart's got to be open and happy. And your gut's got to be invested. And you've got to make the goal big enough. Because if you make it too small, you won't even have the fuel to get you there. I think it's Michael Gerber who says, it's not that your dreams are too big, it's that they're too small, and so there is too little energy to get them there. You've got to be so excited by what it is that you're about to do that you know it's going to happen and you will make it so. And when your your heart goes, oh, yeah and your head goes, we can do this, we can do this, and the gut starts running along with, you've got your alignment. That's how you do it. You've got to use an elevated emotion to keep it going.
0: So, Judy, you mentioned that when you pivoted completely out of medicine into this field of work, from sickness towards health and helping people be their healthiest be their best that it didn't come naturally to you so i imagine you went through a similar process to what you've just described
1: is that true yeah you know what i did i figured well when I looked at the work I thought i can do this i've always been able to see deep inside somebody i can see the potential that's something I can see you give me someone who looks like a doofus i'll show you the diamond it's that simple. I could see it. So I knew that. And it's one of those things that you'll find with most entrepreneurs, I think, is what they're doing seems fairly effortless, so that can't be it. So I started doing the work, and I was fine with that. The business end of it was for the first while because I had to sit and figure that out and was like, how do I charge enough? I had a very healthy lesson. I had somebody who asked me to bid for executive coaching. So I sent in my bid and they went, oh, thank you. And I said, I'm so sorry, was it too much? And they said, no, but we were told you were a top tier coach and asking us for that little amount tells us that you probably are not. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so often we under ask and I had to master that. I think where my real head, heart and gut alignment comes in came in was when I stand and I'm working with people I have no doubt I literally stand in what you would call the collective conscious what they call it in in this work the knowing field that is the sum of everything that's ever been and all of those and you stand in the field and I know watching the person and speaking to them I know what has to be said I know what they're telling me I can use it with them that's the easy part for me I think where the passion finally kicked in as an entrepreneur because of the first time somebody told me I was one, I, I fell on the floor laughing. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just trying to make ends meet here. I'm not an entrepreneur. So the first time I really bit into that, I think was when I wrote the book. And that's only a year and a bit ago. I'd, I loved what I did, but suddenly it became extremely real. And instead of Coaching executives, which I love to do and enjoy. How can I really make a big difference? I'm, I've never been interested, to be honest. I've never been interested in the small bits. I'm like, yeah, okay, we can all do. I want to do the big stuff. And I think it was when I started to do those, when I did the Disney stuff, when I knew that I was stretching, the entrepreneur and the passion kicked in for me. It was when I knew I was stretching. And I could, each time I stretched and I didn't die, then I would go, okay, we can do this. What's the next step? For The first while I was quite sure somebody was, the first time I went on TV, I can remember really clearly thinking, this is going to be easy because I'm going to have a heart attack before I get in front of that screen.
0: (laughs) So real.
1: (laughs) Now it's. Oh, I love it. I, I walk into a room with 600 or 800 people and I have eight, six or 800 friends and it's just fun.
0: Yeah, fun such an important part of our work, isn't it? I mean, I think when you're having fun, then you know you have arrived at that place where you're meant to be, where you belong.
1: You're right. I think fun is one and the other one that told me that I was in a different space was when I realized that it didn't matter who you put me in front of or what question you asked me, I was very comfortable because it's there. I think it's that 10,000 hours of work or whatever they want to say. When you know that you know what you know, then you're also open to not knowing and exploring comfortably. I think that was it for me.
0: So you talk about stretching and loving the stretch and the challenge. That's something that Laura and I sometimes just look at each other, even though we're on opposite sides of the planet, we'll jump on a Zoom and go, come on, partner, it's time to stretch. You know, it feels a little bit samey, samey. And because we're doing great work with some fantastic clients and really enjoying what we do and helping people and serving them, yet it can still feel like it's time to stretch. Absolutely. Talk to us about your failure mindset, because I think stretching and failing are twins or or somehow connected.
1: Okay, so let me talk to you about failing For me. I think I learn more, well, I teach and learn more and more. Let me give you an example. I had somebody who came in who said to me, I have a piece of work I want to do. And I said, sure. And it happened to be a very intense piece of work. So they said, I've never been able to do this piece of work. Can't even look at it and I want to address it. And I said, okay, I want to go all the way. So I said, okay, we're going to go at your speed and your pace and let's see where we get to. And we get about three quarters of the way through and she goes, I can't, I'm, this is it. So she turns around, she looks at me and she says, I told you I'd fail. And I said, oh, really? Have you been to this place before? No. Have you ever gotten this far before? No. So where was the failure again? This is for me. That's the way I look at any of those. It doesn't matter how bad it is. And I've had some doozies. I mean, I have belly flopped beautifully. I'm not really interested in wallowing. I want to know what I can do next. And what did I learn here? What can I take here that's really valuable and tweak? Because I know that if I have an opportunity, a weakness, whatever it is, all that is, is a strength that's waiting to grow. That's all. So, or else I'll say to somebody, I'm done. I've done that a couple of times. Not often, but I'm done. And it takes me about 10 minutes. I go, well, then it's going to be boring. Never mind. Let's just get back on. So, yeah, I think I'm too far into it now at this point as well to think about quitting. And with failure, it really that is a mindset. If you tell yourself you failed, you're people are gonna love me for this one. You're being self-indulgent. Go be self-indulgent for about 10 minutes and then turn around and get on with it. I like that.
2: <laughs> turn around and get on with it. Sometimes you need that minute to just sink down into the get real. Sucked. That was awful. Oh, you know, yeah. and I think there's something good in in feeling that so instead of just trying to mask it or block it or power through just feel it feel the ick
1: and then move on absolutely I always say to people you can have a pity party no soap operas (laughs) just a little bit and I think one of my other realizations as well was you can power through or you can move through a lot more than you think you're capable of and I've had a time or two and I know you have to have had them where I've thought. I'm going to break or I'm going to snap and I keep going and suddenly I'm in a completely different zone and I go, wait a minute, what happened? So when you move past snap, there is another zone.
2: I think it's one of the branches of the military that says, when you think you are at your absolute limit, you're only at like 40% absolutely. Because our bodies, our brains always want to hold on to that extra in case the lion comes or in the next thing. So we're telling ourselves, I can't, I cannot do that next thing because I'm at my limit. Your limit is nowhere near that. And when I read that, I said, that's a really interesting just thing to always remember. When you think you've hit that wall, there's actually
1: Oh, there are reserves. There are absolutely reserves. I discovered that I was teaching in South Africa and I got super ill. And I wound up teaching from a bed, but I taught. And I realized afterwards, you know what? You were doing stuff that, yeah, most people, people were looking at me saying, are you crazy? I was like, no, I came to teach. That's what we're doing. And I've learned, I think what it did for me right there Was it activated? The figure it out, gene? There is always, always, always an answer. You just have to go and find it. That's it.
0: How important is community to you, Judy? It seems to me like you must have some pretty incredible friends.
1: I'm very, very public and very private. So what would I say? My family is my number one value. Completely. They come first. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I will drop what I'm doing. Family comes first. Community around me. Yes, I have good community around me and I have great friends. I have really good friends. I am also in a position with with the kind of work that I do when you're doing transformational work or you're doing that kind of stuff. There are times when for the people I'm working with, it's time for me to step away. So you don't always get to stay a part of it's time to move and do I regret that do I mind that I don't know because I see so much courage and I see so much emerge I think community is very important to me and it's something I'm busy creating as a bigger global community but it's got to be a bigger global community I'm very interested in the big 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 How do we get people to switch on? How do we get them to understand that being an entrepreneur, for example, is you actually saying yes to your capability? How do we get people to understand that you are a really limitless being? You keep pretending you're limited, but you're not. And I think that's the community that I'm really interested in and that I think that revolves around me a lot.
0: So what's the vision for the future? Next 10, I'm 15 the,
1: years. Yeah, the vision for the future would be to be working with between 1,000 10,000 people at a time so that we are shifting mindsets, one new thought, one new feeling, one new action at a time and showing people how to go all the way, not to be limited versions, how to bust the myths of being small in whatever way that looks like for you. You're not small you're a remarkable life. There are no not remarkable lives. They are remarkable lives. Are we willing to do that? So for me, it's about moving, moving beyond the victim. We have monetized, sanitized, sanctified, deitized victimhood until I want to go crazy. And it keeps us locked down. It's like eating bad fast food move past the victim. When you start seeing who you really are and you're willing to go there, that's when we start the world becoming a place that we all enjoy every day.
0: Why is that important to you?
1: Because I know we're capable of doing it and because it would be an incredible waste knowing the potential we have as humans to not go there. It's hugely important to me. I'll go back to Walt. Walt made magic. He knew what magic really was or and is. He understood that deep inner soul magic. I think the person that he's probably the proudest of is someone like Bob Iger, who's really run with it. I, I watched something it's worth looking at. When he came back and he did a walkthrough through Disneyland, Disneyland stopped. People just stood in the streets and they started chanting his name. And I thought, if I could ever dream to make a difference like that, where people understand that there is a man who motivates for magic of the soul and goes to those lengths, I would know I'd done my job in the world. So it's about the magic.
2: Yeah. And with that comes impact, all about the impact that we can create. So, I mean, I think you pretty much answered this question, but if you could summarize it into something succinct, how would you define
1: resilience? Two things. It's the don't quit factor in the figure it out gene. That's it. I like that. The figure it out gene, because
2: everything is figureoutable, which I believe was said by Marie Forleo. am I saying her name right? Forgive me if I'm not, but I believe she has said that a lot recently. Everything is figureoutable. And I love that
1: mindset because it is. Oh, I, yes. I know who you're talking about. It's furlough or forlio Leo or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, you're right. You're something right. like that. Yeah. Didn't know she said that, but I've been talking about the figure it out gene for a long time. It's that's just activate your figure it out gene. Don't say I can't when I, I have a thing when somebody says to me, oh, we can't do that. I just look at them and I go, OK, so how can we do that?
2: Yeah, just reframe yep. it. And you've done a great job reframing so many things in this conversation for us, Judy. Honestly, I could talk for another hour easily. We may have to invite you back again to have more conversations like this because we've been on this roller coaster of wonderful emotion up and down. And I appreciate all your vulnerability and honesty and incredible advice. I hope everyone listens to this podcast and takes notes and goes and writes their money mindset in their notebook, journal, whatever it is. I'm going to do that because I think it's a brilliant idea just to fully understand ourselves a little bit better and, and where our mindset is and, and then figure out how we can improve and really take off as entrepreneurs. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate this conversation.
1: Thank you for both for having me. I have enjoyed every second of it. And yeah, come and join me. Come and find out how brilliant you are. And if you're an entrepreneur, you've woken up.
0: Indeed. Thanks so much, Judy. Take care. So thanks for joining us on Resilient Entrepreneurs. We're Laura and Vicky from 241. We love supporting entrepreneurs, especially with mindset, marketing, and motivation, which is why we've built an incredible community of business founders who meet weekly in the level-up League. If you'd like to know more about it, look us up at 241branding.com.